This is a Fuente podcast brought to you by Alex McMullen. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, how are you all doing? I hope good. I hope good. Remember last time we talked about how the Quran is inerrant. It it claims that it is inerrant, and if the fact that it's inerrant is the thing that proves Islam. It's like the core truth of Islam is the Quran. Okay. And we learned about last time how the Quran claims that Jesus did not die by crucifixion. We also learned that all of the earliest historical references to Jesus' death say he died by crucifixion. We learned that the Quran was written 600 years later. And that the early stuff we're talking about, we looked at the Gospels that were written like 40 years after his death, but the, the epistles are even more, it's like 20 years after his death. So that was all last time, um, and I put a challenge out if you, uh, you know, if you're still believing that the Quran's inerrant, it's not because of logic or evidence, it's because of your bias. Um, and I don't mean that in a main way. Everyone's biased, but we need to be able to tell when we're biased. Um, okay. So last time I said I could use the Quran to disprove the Quran. I will get to that in a minute. To start us off, I want to plan us in current events so we understand why this issue is bigger than my podcast. Why this issue is bigger than what the words in one holy book say and what they say in another. The stakes are literally life or death. Words I say in this podcast could get me killed one day. Um, in 2011, on the first day of April, 20,000 demonstrators gathered before the gates of the United Nations compounds in Mazar-e-Sharif, Afghanistan. Signs there read, Down with America and Death to Obama. The Afghan police did not control the crowd and refused assistance from a NATO-led security force. The only people that were left defending this compound then, that was all these rioters were around, were these UN guards. Um, and there weren't that many of them, and they were overrun. Their weapons were seized, and they were shot. The protesters stormed the compound and started beheading Westerners. Among those killed was the first female pilot in Norwegian military history and a Swedish human rights scholar who'd arrived in Afghanistan scarcely a month before all of this happened. Other casualties were four Nepalese Gurkhas, a Romanian specialist in political affairs, and five Afghan rioters, rioters also died. Why did this attack happen? Why were heads literally cut off of people? The reason was an obscure pastor in Florida with a congregation of about 50 people posted a video online of him burning a Quran, a book. He burned a book. Okay. And this resulted in people's heads getting cut off. People who have nothing to do with this guy. What in the world does a Floridian pastor have to do with four Nepalese Gurkhas or a UN building? But how did society react? They condemned the violence? No. Everyone attacked the guy who burned the paper with ink on it. Everyone attacked the crazy Floridian pastor who had a big mustache and talked like this. 
He was the bad guy in this story, according to the media and culture and everyone. Former President Hamid Karzai uh, was the he was president of uh, Afghanistan at the time. He denounced this video, and that's how the news cut spread to all these Afghans. The writers of Mazar e Sharif were unable to discern between Westerners. Anyone they saw was a Westerner there. It, indistinguishable from a crazy Floridian. They took the lives of innocent Europeans who had, and of Nepalese people who had nothing to do with a pastor from Florida. Nothing at all. They stereotypically proclaimed death to Obama, the American president who has been most vocal in his support of Islam in American history, who's even said, I consider, quote, I consider it part of my responsibility as president of the United States to fight against negative stereotypes of Islam wherever they appear, end quote. And Gurkhas from Nepal were killed, and a Romanian was killed. And the first, uh, just like a human rights writer, the first female pilot in Norwegian history. These are like great people. They're volunteering. And they all die. And Obama, the guy who's most vocal for them, is killed. Or not killed, is denounced. Um, around the same time, so a couple years prior, in 2009, the U.S. government announced that it burned dozens of Bibles at Bagram Airfield in Afghanistan. The official there gave the reason, quote, the Bibles were trash and the military burns its trash, end quote. No one even considered there might be a retaliatory terrorist attack. No one even considered that there would be a chance of it. What's going on here? Why do Christians not care when their holy book is burned? I mean, we might be, oh, that's sad. But heads roll, literally? To a Westerner, it looks like idiocy, further exacerbated by everyone attacking the guy who burned the book. But really what's going on here is a huge cultural gap that we don't understand. The Quran is not like the Bible is to a Christian. The Bible's great. I love reading the Bible. I read the Bible every day. It's fun for me. I read it in English, I read it in Hebrew, I read it in uh, Greek, I read it in Spanish. Um, I love trying to understand it and understanding it. I do it every day. I make podcasts about it. But if you burn your own copy of the Bible, I could not care less. I'd be, well, that was stupid. Why'd you spend money on a Bible just to burn it? <clears throat> Nabil remarks, The Quran is to Muslims the eternal word of Allah himself. It is the closest thing to God incarnate. To Christians, the eternal word of Yahweh is Jesus. The Quran holds in Islam the place that Jesus holds in Christian faith. So let's put it together. To comprehend the insult of burning a Quran, a Christian would have to imagine someone burning Jesus. That's why they're cutting people's heads off across the, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. Muslims believe it's the very speech of Allah inscribed on a heavenly tablet by thousands and thousands i mean probably what like four thousand miles away i don't know i don't know how big the earth is in all uh for which it was read by gabriel and dictated to muhammad it is not inspired in the christian sense of inspiration but rather it is revealed okay allah revealed it piecemeal to muhammad dictating it 
through the angel Gabriel. Sorry, I'm distracted. A cat just came into this room. Mao had nothing to do with shaping the text. He only relayed it. Okay. Now, Nabil also mentions the original language is what is considered the true Quran, and a copy in another language can't ever be truly the Quran. Give me a second to sip my evening wine. All right, I'm quoting Nabil now. This is why, as a young American Muslim child who spoke Urdu with his Pakistani parents at home and English with his friends at school, was taught that Arabic was literally the language of heaven and the best of all languages. So adamant was my mother about teaching me to recite Arabic that I had recited the entire Quran in Arabic by age five before I had learned to read English or Urdu. So you see, this is a huge deal, learning Arabic. Um, and a lot of times, uh, Muslim apologists will claim you can't really understand the Quran until you're reading it in Arabic. So this is a huge difference between the Bible and Quran. Um, the Bible, it's like about the message. It doesn't really matter what language it's in. The Quran it's actually those words are what's important, not necessarily the message as much. Now, everything is, you know, being said in generalizations here. But another difference is stated in a previous podcast: the Bible is an entire library of ancient books. You have the Tanakh, or as Christians call it, the Old Testament. That alone is a whole bunch of different sections. You have the Torah, which is five the five books at the beginning. The Navim is the prophets, and the Ketuvim is the writings. That's where you... The, I think my favorite are the Ketuvim. Well, gosh, that's hard. I like the Torah a lot, too. I don't know. Okay, it doesn't matter. Each with its own books and its own genres with their own authors. You have sexy love poems, okay, dripping with sexual imagery. You have a comedy. I think Esther is an ancient comedy. You have morality plays like Job and Jonah. You have poetry, Psalms and Proverbs and all the, the prophets like Isaiah is full of poetry. Wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes. All sorts of genres. You got Romans. Compare Romans in the book of Esther, okay? Or Revelation and Jonah. Or letters to churches with Leviticus. You get the idea. If you have any kind of biblical knowledge, these books are nothing like each other. The Bible even has Hebrew parts, Aramaic, and Greek in its original languages. Actually, let me edit that a little bit. Greek, I think it's, um, well, John may have been composed in Greek because there's like a entendres going on in Greek. But um, other parts of Gospels I know have like what looks like the roots of Aramaic in it, even in the Greek versions that we have, or it looks like it was translated out of Aramaic. So, but yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a, and I, I'm pretty sure Paul's letters were all composed in Greek, especially if he's writing to Romans. So yeah, so I can safely say that. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. There's no difficulty for a Christian who has an English Bible. You can still understand it. There's nothing mystical about the original Hebrew or Greek. I mean, personally, I love reading in the original Hebrew and Greek because you can find these little nerdy, cool things like avad, like the, the, so in Hebrew, there's these shoresh, there's these roots, and you can see what words are related. Um, and it, it hyperlinks these Bible passages together, and you can catch Eden imagery in places that you don't really see in the English. But it doesn't, you don't really need to have that stuff to really understand what the Bible's trying to say. 
um, in general terms. Um, <clears throat> it's not like um, the English Bible is missing some magic spark, or it's not the true Bible because it's in English. The Chronic Comparison is largely uh, the same sort of read through and through. It's it's just one genre. It's Muhammad dictating it out. Uh, I think there's only like one uh, one complete narrative in the whole thing. It's the story of Joseph, I believe. Uh, when I read the Quran, that was the only one that was it. A lot of times it'll start in the middle or like uh, just give you the end or something of a story and kind of just assume you know the rest um so the Quran its only true form is in Arabic the Quran also has very few narratives and the verses are more often unrelated to each other than they are in the Bible this being because it's like he remembers something and says it, or he's revealed something and says it here and then he's revealed something and says it there or just how Zayd the beat collected it all or Uthman afterward we'll get to all that this is why you'll often see a Muslim apologist take a Bible verse out of context they are not used to religious books where everything is connected in a larger narrative something else you'll see Muslim apologists do is they just really focus down on the Bible it's because the way to disprove their own religion would be to question the book and so they assume it's the same thing with the Bible and like if you're outside of like the fundamentalist inerrantist camp, you just go, oh yeah, that's like a Greco-Roman historiography. And if someone points out a contradiction, it's like, oh, okay, it, was it a red robe or a purple robe? I don't know. Obviously, he's a historical figure who's wearing a robe and two different witnesses remembered a different color. Like, you know, I don't care. I don't care that those two things contradict. But if you're a Muslim and mankind is made out of mud in one place and then he's made out of blood in another that's a problem okay uh, that's going to be way more of a theological issue for you um, now strangely enough the Quran actually does claim that the Bible is inspired scripture so if you look in Surah 5 Ayah 68 say people of the book you will attain nothing until you observe the Torah and the gospel in that which has been revealed to you from the Lord. Okay. We have manuscripts from the 6th century. We know what the, quote, Torah and, quote, gospel look like according to the people that Muhammad was talking to, or I guess Allah through Gabriel, through Muhammad, was talking to when he gave this message. God, this wine's good. Okay. Now this quote is interesting because in the last episode we clearly showed that all those different sources, including the Gospels, say that Jesus was crucified and killed. But the Quran says he did not die. This is a problem. The Quran just said that it was the Torah and the Gospel was revealed to us by the Lord. But then it also says that he didn't die, but the Gospel says he did die. This is a contradiction. The Quran also says there's no contradictions. Uh, but that was a contradiction. In the trial, we sent forth Jesus, son of Mary. I'm quoting from the Quran again. Confirming the Torah revealed before him. And we gave him the gospel in which there is guidance and light. In the Hebrew, that's in jail. Sorry, the Hebrew is I meant to say that the Arabic is in jail.
corroborating what was revealed before him in the Torah, a guide and admonition to the righteous. Let those who follow the gospel judge by what God has revealed in it. Ungodly are those that do not judge by what God has revealed. The gospel was revealed by God, and we need to judge by what God has revealed. Um, okay, well, according to all the gospels, Jesus was crucified. Alright, I'm going to read from the Bible in different places. This is Mark chapter 15, verse 27. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by and hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross uh, and save yourself. And let me back up so that we can know that this is Jesus who's been crucified, not someone who looks like Jesus. Uh, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. There they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Okay? It's Jesus who they crucified. What happened after he was crucified? Skip down to verse 35. Uh, no, skip down to verse 37. With a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. Jesus, not someone who looked like Jesus. Jesus breathed his last. Okay? Now we're going to skip over to Matthew. From noon until three in the afternoon. This is from uh, Matthew 27, verse 45. Darkness came into the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So those standing there heard this. They said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with vinegar Let's see, keep going. Um, I want to find where it says he dies. Let's see. Okay, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Okay. Um, and previously, let's see. Um, See, the governor, uh, the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company. Uh, then they knelt in front of him, mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him. Skip, skip down, skip down. Came to the place which means Golgotha. There they offered Jesus wine to drink. Uh, when they had crucified him, they divided up his... So there we go. He's crucified and he dies. Okay. Now on to Luke. I wonder if he dies here. I wonder if he gets crucified. It's about noon. Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathes his last. There he dies again. Um, he was also crucified here. And John... Um, when he had finished receiving the drink, Jesus said, "Is finished with that." He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Um, what's interesting is you can see that these are different accounts because he's saying different things as he's dying in these different gospels. So we have multiple attestation that he died on a cross. Um, especially with John, the story is just completely worded differently. Another place there they crucified. This is John nineteen eighteen. There they crucified him. And with him, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Okay. 
So there you go. From multiple Greco-Roman historiographies all claiming the same thing. I like to quote primary sources when I can. I just assume people have read the Gospels, but I need to not do that. So I went ahead and just read them anyway. Okay. Um, so Muslims might respond, how do we know the Gospel is talking about there? The angel is the same one as the Gospel... In the Bible, like I mentioned, we actually have a whole bunch of manuscripts from the time period of Muhammad. These are obviously the books he's talking about. So you have the Quran saying it's inerrant. You have it saying Jesus did not die. And you have it saying the Gospels are a guide to the righteous and to judge ourselves by them. And the Gospels say that Jesus died. All of them do. And all the other historical sources out there from within a hundred years of his death, they all state he was crucified as well. Another big difference is that the Quran was read aloud by people, and Christian scriptures are written and intended to be written literature. So the Quran has a lot of characteristics of something said aloud in a conversation. There's lots of repetition of the same lines and things. Lots of times it seems like it is interrupting itself. Narratives are started in the middle and end before they can finish, so a lot of times Muslims will have knowledge of the name of a prophet, but unlike the Bible, they don't have birth to death details like the Bible gives for Jesus, Moses, Joseph, etc. There's also holes in how to live in the Quran. And so that's why they have Hadith. And that's not heretical to even say that Muslims would agree with me there. Even central practices like the five pillars of Islam and praying five times a day are nowhere mentioned in the Quran. They get these ideas from the Hadith. There's no Christian analogy to the Hadith. The Bible is really all you need to go if you're a Christian. Um, Muslims who read the Quran and think that's all that you need are considered heretics. So there's a lot of emphasis put on these hadith. I think Sahih Bukhari is considered the most reliable of all of them. And there's thousands of, of little uh, bits that have been contributed to these hadith. Another difference is that, as I mentioned before, the Quran's central to faith in a way that the Bible is not in Christianity. The Quran is their cornerstone. It's the main thing they use to prove their religion. Let me pause here. The baby's crying. All right, Mama is in there with baby. Um, no promises that it'll go well, but, you know, fingers crossed. Hey, where'd I leave off? I don't remember, so I'm just going to... Uh, Nabil states I'm just going to quote Nabil talking about the Quran I don't remember where I was The Quran serves the, as a basis For Muslim confidence in their religion It is the why of Islamic faith Muslims understand That the Quran is the keystone Of Islam's truth And they assume the same for the Bible uh, Dang it I wouldn't be one of my podcasts If I didn't burp at least once during it <laughs> Oh my god but the Bible is not the why of Christian faith. It is the what. The why of the Christian faith is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so the Quran is kind of like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is to Christianity what the Quran is to Islam. So Muslim apologists direct much dialogue. This is still continuing to quote Nabil. So Muslim apologists direct much dialogue toward Christian scripture, assuming it ought to have the same impact as a challenge to the Quran would. Though that is not the case. Um, end quote.
this is mean now. So for a Christian, for example, if Luke states a census that didn't happen or gets the year of Quirinius serving as governor of Syria wrong, it's not like, oh my God, everything I ever believed in is a lie. You can just be like Tertullian said and be like, oh, I guess Luke got that wrong. And you can see it's a Greco-Roman historiography written by real humans and acknowledge that your faith is based on Jesus and move on with your life. The Quran's supposed to be perfect and that no book it's so perfect no book can imitate it the Quran even says this is how to prove the religion is true quote and if you doubt what we have revealed to our servant produce one syrup comparable to it that's from 223 another verse uh, this is 10 36 38 even shames people who want to use reason oh yeah so I'm about to quote from uh I said that confusingly. I'm about to quote from Surah 10 verses, or Ayah, 36 to 38. This one even shames people who want to use reason and says only the Quran can be true, not logic or reason. Okay, see if you can see why I would think that when I read it. Um, and that you can't, and then it says you can't write a book like it. So here's the quote, okay, finally. Here's the 10, 36 to 38. Quote. Most of them follow nothing but mere conjecture, but conjecture is no way a substitute for the truth. God is cognizant of what you do, or what they do, sorry. This Quran could not have been devised by any but God. Indeed, its confirmation of what was revealed before it and its expounding of the book are beyond any doubt from the Lord of the universe. If they say he invented it himself, Say, bring one surah like it. Call on whom you will besides God to help you. If what you say be true. End quote. So there you can say conjecture is bad. You know, don't use conjecture. Only trust the Quran. The rest is just conjecture. You know, like evidence, data, logic. It's all just conjecture. All right, 11.13 is more of the same. Quote, or do they say he has invented it? Say, produce ten surahs like it, uh, like it all in invented. Call on whom you will amongst your idols. End quote. I guess Muhammad's getting scared because it used to just be one surah in the style of the Quran, but now he's bumped it up to ten. Produce ten like it. Uh, there's more like this. That was a dumb joke. There's more like this in Surah 1788 and in Surah 5234. Unfortunately for the Quran, a book does just this it's called al-furqan al-haq which means the true measure of discernment uh it's this book that's a christian theology but it's written in quranic style in arabic it copies the style so perfectly that it's often been read in public places and muslims have approached and congratulated the reader on reading the quran that was the only defense the quran had the only defense the Quran has for itself is it claims it can't be copied. But somebody wrote a copy of its style, Al-Furqan Al-Haq. Oh, well, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. It's not as good. Okay, then why do so many governments illegalize Al-Furqan Al-Haq? Some governments have banned it. Why would they do that if it wasn't close to the Quran in its style? Wouldn't they just say this isn't close to the Quran in its style? 
So it's, it's like if it really wasn't a threat, wouldn't they just let it in? If you see contradictions in the Quran, it's a bit more of a problem than it would be if you saw one in the Bible. That's why the following paragraph might be difficult for some to hear. For example, Surah 6, 163 says Muhammad was the first believer. But Surah 7, 143 says Moses was the first. And Surah 26, verse 40 says Pharaoh's magicians were. 88, 6 teaches that the only food in hell will be thorns. 69, verse 36 says it will be pus. And 37, verse 66, says it will be like devil fruit. It will be the, oh, a devil-like fruit. I'm not sure what that means. 754, 10, 3, and 11, 7, and 25, 29, teach that Allah created the world in six days. Whereas 41, verses 9 through 12, give a total of eight days. 229 says Allah created the earth before the heavens. And in 79.30, it says he created the heavens before the earth. 96.2 says Allah created man from blood. 25 verse 54 says from water. And Surah 15 verse 26 says from clay. And Surah 30 verse 20 says from dust. And I'm just going to keep going through these because um, there's a lot. I'm not even going to go through all. There's like hundreds and hundreds of contradictions in this book. Um, but I want to go through enough where someone can't just dismiss one or two of them. I'm just going to keep going. 109, uh, Surah 109, 1 through 6 says non-Muslims worship different gods. Whereas 2... Verse 139 says Jews and Christians worship the same God as Muslims. In 4, verse 48, it says Allah does not forgive idolatry. And in Surah 4, 153, it shows him forgiving idolatry. In Surah 4, 78, it says all blessings and afflictions are from Allah. Whereas in Surah 4, 79, the very next verse, it says Blessings are from Allah and afflictions are brought by those who suffer them. So basically, if you know, if you're it's going crappy in your life, it's because of something you did. It's kind of like the the uh, karma from our last section on Buddhism. There are hundreds more that can be explained away. I'm sure. Um, I used to explain away stuff too when I was a fundamentalist. I know how that works. Um, hopefully, I'll just throw enough data at you that it just breaks the camel's back and then you just go holy crap what if this is wrong and then you're able to like reboot it's very healthy for your brain okay like me coming out of fundamentalism i know changing a worldview takes time you're going to deny what you're hearing you ignore it you brush it aside but it will start to build up more and more over time it gets heavier and heavier until your worldview can't contain it anymore and it finally pops then you go into a depression then you get angry at your old worldview and all the people who taught it to you but then you get a new epistemology and you start rebuilding and you know what you're going to be okay okay if this has challenged your faith in islam don't worry if it's true it can take my scrutiny 
If it's false, you needed to stop believing it anyway. You need to break free. Okay, that's all for this episode. Um, I know that was a that's a rough thing. It helps to have some wine. I might encourage any Muslim listeners to just drink some wine as you go through this and take your time with it. Check me. Okay, look up the verses I cite. Don't just take my word for it. And above all, know that I don't hate you and I don't think you're stupid. It's not like, oh, you have a contradiction. You're stupid. Okay? It's like, holy crap, I've kind of been where you are before. Okay? I was a fundamentalist and breaking out of it was terrifying. And you have my sympathy and you have my love and for those who do break out it's often they're the the bravest people on the planet takes tons of courage to believe differently from your parents okay uh that's it for this episode that was a little heavy um hopefully everybody enjoyed that and i will see you guys next time